Amen. How do you go after that? <laughs> well, we're talking about spiritual gifts this morning, and that might not be your gift. That was wonderful, and we get to all offer that up to the Lord. Um, sometimes you discover by process of elimination that something isn't your gift, and most of you have heard most of my funny stories about me finding out something wasn't my gift, but early on when I first became a believer, the youth pastor, who was also the music director, was discipling me, and, you know, I'm 18 years old, and, and the pastor, it turned out the pastor was away that Sunday, and, and the youth pastor, so both the staff were gone, and so they had a, a fill-in preacher who was one of the guys from the church, and, he, and the youth pastor who directed the music asked me to lead the singing that morning. So I was leading the congregational music at 18 years old, and great, you know, I get a chance to, you know, lead the folks up front. Well, when the pastor got done with the sermon, he said, Charlie, why don't you come up and sing the first verse through by yourself, and we'll all join in the second verse. And the song was, I Surrender All. To all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Let me tell you, I surrendered all. <laughs> because when we hit the chorus, it was bad. It was terrible. The congregation couldn't wait to jump into the second verse. So we all have different gifts, and that's a good thing. We all need one another. We need each other very much, and that's what this passage is about. So let's give our attention to God's word this, this morning, consider what is God doing in making us a church? We're his body, and let's see what he is doing in our own lives, and then putting us all together, knitting us to himself. Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Let's pray together.
speak, Lord, we ask, for your servant is listening. We ask that, Lord, it would, your word would go down and bear forth fruit in our hearts and that it would root up with good fruit coming out of our lives, out of our mouths, uh, into our hands and our feet, and that we would grow together as the body of Christ that would bring glory and honor to you, Lord Jesus, and good for one another. We ask in your name. Amen. All right, we're going to take a pop quiz this morning. So if you've got a pen, I want you to write, take out a pen and a paper. It's just like school. It's to get your attention. So question one, how many missionary journeys did Paul take? A is one, B is two, C is three, and D is four. How many missionary journeys did Paul take? We'll go over these in a second. So A is one, B is two, C is three, D is four. Question two, on which missionary journey did Paul found the church in Corinth? A is one, B is two, C is three, and D is four. On which missionary journey did Paul found the church in Corinth? A is one, B is two, C is three, D is four. Question three, on which missionary journey did Paul write his epistle to the Corinthians? A is one, B is two, C is three, and D is four. Question four. Um, Which word occurred in this text the most in the passage we just read? The word many is A. The word members is B. The word one is C. And the word body is D. Let's see how you did. All right. Question number one, how many missionary journeys did Paul take? Answer, four. So Paul took four missionary journeys, so you should have put D for number one. Question two, on which missionary journey did Paul found the church in Corinth? Answer, B. He, on his second missionary journey around A.D. 50, in Acts 18, Paul comes to Corinth. And you can read about it in Acts 18. So, that, so you know that question three has to be after that, right? So question three, we're now down to C or D. So if you put A or B, you've got that one wrong. So, then, so he, found, he wrote the letter from Ephesus on his third missionary journey. Okay, and then the last question is, which word occurred the most in the text that we just read? And I actually gave them, these are like the four big words, and I gave them in order of least to most occurring. So the, the word many occurs four times, okay? We're one body, many members, and the word member and members is used eight times. That's a pretty big word. But the word one We're one body, that's used 11 times, but the word body is 19 times. If you love the head, you gotta love the body, okay? So his big point that he keeps bringing back again and again is that there's one body and that we're many members of this one body. So let's jump in here. So Corinth, and we'll, we'll look more about this in weeks to come, it was no sleepy town. It was no sleepy city. Uh, it was this booming city that had everything going for it. Um, and so we have the three slides up there that you can show. Let's, it's kinda, I don't know if you can see that very well because I can't see it very well. 
Wow, that's not very big. Can you see the little green thing over there? Well, I'll tell you what, I'm just gonna go to the next slide. That one's not gonna do you much good. You got slide number two? Okay, so here, when you talk about a port city, this is two bodies of water, two harbors, and that's a six kilometers, okay, and that was like their Panama Canal that was built in the 19th century. But back in this day and age, what they would do is that to sail all the way around Greece was deadly. It was another week's journey, but to get to the southern part of Greece and around towards where the island of Crete were, you remember Paul shipwrecked there. And in the winter, those waters were treacherous. So they had an expression was to go around Malia twice was to die. And so you just didn't want to do it. So the people would come through this main little isthmus, I think is the term, is where these, this little uh, area of land comes together. And what they did was they built ro a road. Go to the next slide here. And you can, this is the road today. Uh, if you, that is the, what they would do is they would unload the cargo and they had rollers, and they would roll the ship without the cargo over that four miles from one harbor to the next. It would save them a week's worth of sailing, probably save your life, but this is where the, all the roads kind of came together in Greece of the, the north and the south, but it was also a great area of trade, and so Corinth made a, a, a great amount of money from this toll road. They charged a nice little pretty penny. If you wanna come and do this, great. And as a result, this city became, uh, it was just perfectly located in the right spot between north and south and where the waters were. And then it had these great fountains. So they had a natural, uh, inexhaustible water supply. They had a citadel for defense. The trade came from east and west, north and south. The manufacturing and exports prospered. They had great soil. They had the Isthmian Games that brought in lots of consumers. They had natural resources of clay, marble, limestone. Employment was just booming. And so this was, a, this was not Sparta or Athens. Those would be sleepy towns in comparison to Corinth, okay? So it was right in the middle of everything. And as a result, there was just this great sense of um, of pride in Corinth. And as, and as you read through the book of Corinthians, that's why we're calling this humble truths for a proud church because again and again and again and again, most of the rebukes and reminders throughout the whole epistle are to take humble pills uh, because the pride was not only, because you know, it was so much in the culture, but it invaded the church. And so much so that even when they came to communion, which we're coming to today, he says, it's not the Lord's Supper that you're eating. He says, what is this? Some of you are getting drunk and others are going home hungry. And what, he, what was happening was the, the people that were the, the movers and shakers and the people who were doing well and getting lots of money, they were the haves, they were getting drunk. And the people that were the have-nots, they were get, going home poor. And so when he says here that Jews and Greeks in verse 13, you've all been baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slave or free, meaning it doesn't matter what ethnicity or what culture of life, whether you're, you're rich or poor, slave or free. You see, a lot of the Jews, if you remember, and I forget which emperor it was, I think it was Claudius, he expelled the Jews 
out of his region. And people like Priscilla and Aquila who came to Corinth and there was this bustle in the main road in town where they would set up all these different shops and they probably would do the chariot repairs and these, making these little ships and they made tents and that's where Priscilla and Aquila set up shop. But they're Jews, but they're immigrants. They had been exiled from their territory and now they've come to Corinth to find a way of life but they would have been looked down upon because they were not influential or big movers and shakers. Well, guess who joined them as a Jew right there in Corinth? Paul. And so this church now is full of Jews and Gentiles, or we might say today, you know, Asians and Hispanics or blacks and whites. The idea is that every tribe, tongue, nation, and people now come together as a church, as one body. And whether you're an immigrant or whether you're not an immigrant, whether you are a white-collar job or a blue-collar job, whether you're rich or poor, whether you own a home or whether you're still renting or in a townhouse or a condo, you're one in Christ. And so this church was struggling, though, because they were such a a people of influence and hustle and bustle and making a name for themselves that they thought they were really special. And so the ones that, most of the rebukes were towards the haves. And these haves were coming to the Lord's table and they're getting drunk and they're not even looking at the needs in the body seeing that there's people that came with nothing and went home with nothing and didn't even get any food. And so Paul's writing to them and he's reminding them and even with their gifts, when it came to their gifts, they elevated They had this over-realized eschatology and those that had the special gifts, they were elevated. If you had the gift of tongues or the gift of prophecy, gift of healing, these supernatural, so to speak, gifts, then you were really something. But if you were just, you know, had the gift of service, gift of helps, gift of mercy, gift of faith, well, then you were looked down upon. And so... Paul's writing to them and he's, and he's talking about the, the whole point of the gifts is so that we love one another. And the, and the gifts have been given to you as a gift. It's not something that, a gift is a gift, meaning you didn't come with anything to deserve this gift. And so this influential town, influential city in a lot of ways reminds me of our nation's capital. And our community is, is buzzing with government jobs and government contracts. You know, there's like four major influential cities in America that, that I think have more influence than the rest of the cities. What would those four cities be? What city influences music more than any other city in America? Nashville. What city influences movies more than any place? L.A. and Hollywood. What's the city of money and power? You've got New York City and government. You've got D.C. So those are like the four most influential cities in America. And we happen to live in one. I'm just curious this morning. I've never done this, but I'm just curious. If you have a government job or your job is government contracting type of job, I want you to raise your hand this morning. I'm just curious. How many people in our church have a job because of the federal government here in this church? You see, that's like a good majority, probably almost half the people in the room. Um, we, we are blessed to be a part of this. We should not look down on that at all. We should be really grateful. There are lots of IT jobs. Do you know what the largest employer in the state of Maryland is? 
It's NSA, 70,000 jobs. Um, and, and I remember having this moment of like, wow, I, I grew up in Gaithersburg as a kid. And I remember just going a couple years ago into the city of Gaithersburg, into the, you know, the, whatever the building is where you go and uh, vote, and they have a map of Gaithersburg. And you realize, wow, NIST is right in the middle of Gaithersburg, and that all of Gaithersburg is basically grown around NIST. And it was kind of like, oh, no wonder there's so many scientists in this area. You know, it's kind of like a, a wake-up moment of like, duh. I caught my first fish in one of those ponds at NIST as a kid when my mom was a secretary there. And so we have all of these wonderful IT jobs. We have some of the greatest hospitals in the entire world are within an hour of this place right here in D.C. and in Baltimore. And then you have three incredible airports that we have access to that are less than an hour away. Um, so there's lots of booming um, things in our culture as well. And so we, we're, we want to be a culture of winners. And the book of Corinthians comes along and, and Paul, who's writing as, as this Jew now, and he's not so much in the in culture, and he's working as a tent maker, and he's coming and he's proclaiming about a Christ who was crucified. A crucified Christ. It's a stumbling block to Jews, and it's just folly. This is madness to, to Greeks and Romans that want to see about power and influence and let's, let's, how are we going to move up the ladder? And you're talking about this great reversal of one who was great, who became poor, who gave up everything and laid down all his rights and died on a cross for your sins. It was turning the world upside down. And so this book of Corinthians is this great reminder of what is the church to be in the midst of this in a boom town, in a booming city where everybody has more important things to do than to be here this morning. You've got your soccer games to go to, and you've got your jobs to go to. And, and one of the things I realize in our church is that more and more, we have a lot of caregivers in this church, meaning there's a lot of you in here that are taking care of somebody that needs a lot of help. It might be an aging parent. It might be a child with special needs, but there are a lot of caregivers. And as a result, there are a lot of needs uh, in this body. And so the book of Corinthians is here written, and it's kind of dealing with basically two problems, and they're spelled out for us twice in this text. And the one is, is you have a group of people that feel like they don't belong. There's a group of people that say they don't belong, and then there's another group of people that think, I have no need of you. So one is kind of the out crowd, and they don't really feel like they're part of it, and I don't, I don't belong. And then there's another group that says, I don't need you. And what does Paul say to both groups? He's, he's, he's showing them that both, both are actually views of pride. One is a weak pride, and one's the strong pride. One's the pride manifesting itself in self-pity, and the other is a pride that's saying it's an arrogance, somehow thinking they don't need you. But Paul's point is, you're one body, and you're many members. And these many members, the body needs the body. And if one part of the body is hurting, the whole body's hurting. 
Some of you may have seen my finger. I don't know if you can see it from here, but there's, I don't want to give you the finger, but my middle finger has got this, and, and I, I dummy put it on Facebook and got all kinds of comments, but what happened was I was just getting firewood, and when I grabbed this log, like all these other logs came tumbling down on top of it, and it was a big, heavy piece of oak, of oak that wasn't fully seasoned, very heavy, and it just pinched my finger between another piece of oak. And when it hit, it hurt. It hurt. But three hours later, it hurt worse. And the pain was coming down into my hand, and now down in here. And I'm like, I've never had this. I couldn't read the Bible. I couldn't think. All I could think about was one thing. I was like, all I can think about is my finger. It won't stop hurting. And so what I, you know, so I put something on Facebook like, is this normal? Like, why would it be hurting down around my hand? And people are like, oh, that's easy. You just need to drill it because there's blood that's in that fingernail and that blood's got to come out and it's pinching a nerve. And so you've got to release the pressure. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Like, there's, there's a point to this story. I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> Stick with me. I was a latchkey kid as a kid, okay? And so latchkey kids, meaning both my parents were working, and so my science project as a kid, right, at, right off Clopper Road in Bennington, was my science project was taking a magnifying glass and let's see what it'll do when I burn a hole through my fingernail. And I wanted to see if there was any pain on the other end. So when I got through, you know, when you take that magnifying glass, I could burn leaves. I thought, let's burn through a fingernail and let's just see what happens. Well, I can assure you that the pain, when you get through the fingernail, underneath with the magnifying glass, with the sun razor in there like that, it's unbelievable. So... So when people were telling me to drill a hole through my finger just to release the pressure, this is a no-brainer. I was having this traumatic, I could just instantly took me back to that pain. And I thought, I can't do it, can't do it. And my point is this, and I'll tell you what happened, but is that when one part suffers, we're told the whole suffers. So if one part of the body is suffering, the whole is suffering as a body. So here my finger's suffering, but the reason it's also suffering is because I've been hurt in the past, and now my past is affecting the future, and I can't even go and get the help that I need. I didn't want to go to the doctor. I didn't want to have him do it because all I can remember is I've been hurt, and some of you have been hurt in the church, and you've been hurt before, and you're like me with this finger. You're like, I'm not even going to the doctor with it. I don't want to get help because all I remember is how traumatic this was when I, when I got hurt, and I don't want any part of it now. I'm afraid to get plugged in again because I got hurt. And my counsel to you is you got to get help. And so for me, with my finger, I had to go. I had to go to the doctor anyway. And the, and the lady even made a joke as she, you know, gave me a needle shot on each side of the finger. And she said, you know, many say that this hurts worse than the procedure itself, you know. And I, yes, it did. And, and you know what? When she actually relieved it, it didn't hurt at all. But it was the trauma of the past that was affecting me. And so for us here as the body, we have to look at these two issues and ask ourselves, why is this the case? There's some that are saying, I don't belong, 
and others that are saying, I don't need you. And I hope that we are not saying as a church either one of those, but particularly saying to people that we don't need you. And I think that this is a great hindrance to the church's growth. And I think for us as a church, just kind of looking practically at the the needs in our our own body, is that there are a lot of teams that, that make a Sunday morning go. And so what happens is if there's a lot of caregiving going on and a lot of people already plugged into certain things, then we can all of a sudden get into kind of overload where people are taking on too much. And if you're here and you can come and help and take some burdens and help, there's a lot of things that, that have to, to go to make a Sunday morning to go. So let me just kind of briefly explain that this morning. We're going to have a lunch the first Sunday in May. And the purpose of this lunch is to um, recruit people to get plugged in or replugged into the body. And maybe it's kind of a reshuffling of the deck. But just to make a Sunday morning go at this church, okay? When you come in the doors, hopefully there are greeters at the doors that greet you. We don't have a greeter point person anymore because that person moved out of state. So we really need a greeter point person that will be over a greeter and guest information table in our church. We have nobody that's over guest information tables. So if you want to go as a guest and meet a, a live person as to here's a guest information table, we have nobody stocking that. Nobody's there. And we don't have a point person over that. So that's just one major need in prayer request is, and we need some administratively gifted kind of people that can put people in and just plug those holes so that when you come in in the morning, bam, you see somebody at those doors. And then you say, well, gee, I'm half asleep. I need a cup of coffee. Well, when you go to get a cup of coffee, where do you think that cup of coffee came from? It came from Rush Rushton because he's been doing coffee for like 20-some years in the church, and he needs some help, okay? So there's, this is an area where what we're trying to do is get more recruits so we can have a coffee and communion team because what we're wanting to do starting in May is do communion twice a month. A lot of churches are recognizing that we don't do communion enough. Most new churches do communion every week. We're wanting to do it the first and third Sundays of the month. But to do this, when we have communion this morning, where'd that stuff come from? That came because somebody came early and prepared it and put it there. And so the the greater gifts in our church, the ones that get elevated, it's real simple. It's anything with a microphone. Those are the greater gifts. If you can plug in your instrument, you can sing that solo, or you can preach that sermon, or you get to teach Sunday school and have an audience, those are, the, those are the gifts that tend to be envied, right? Those are the ones that like, oh, you must be special. Well, how are you hearing me right now? Because Jim's back there running the sound, and he's been doing it for 15 years or whatever. And he wants to get some other recruits too. We've got a small sound team, but we're looking for more sound guys. And Spencer's back there running the, 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 uh, the slides so people can see the slides. And that involves people running that every week. And we're moving to this new technology called Proclaim, and we're looking to get Mike some help with that. Mike's been our main guy over that. But we need people, if you like, technology and you like to do that we've got an IT meeting after church to look at our computer needs and some of the needs of of things like that in our church so then as you come in the church hopefully you're handed a bulletin and that involves another team it involves ushers 
Well, here's an interesting thing about our church, and just kind of looking in at the church, is that we have this interesting proportion of the way that the gifts are lining up. And most of the men are serving in one area, and most of the ladies are serving in another area. And I think we need to reshuffle the deck. Meaning, we have like, we're gonna do this lunch on, on May, first Sunday of May, because we wanna talk about this, these needs we have in the church. Well, that involves the hospitality team. And those are the people that, you know, we have a reception for Ben, for his ordination, hospitality team. Well, who do you think is mainly on the hospitality team? That would be women. But we need some men on that hospitality team because there's a lot of men that can cook and there's a lot of men that can move tables and, and make drinks. And it, you don't just have to be a lady to, to do hospitality. Men can do hospitality. And most of the people in the children's wing are ladies. But we need, we need good men down there as well. Now, on the flip side, how come the ladies don't want to do the, the sound or, or be an usher or be a counter? You know, we do an offering and then there's counters. Most of the counters are men. Most of the people doing PowerPoint. Most of the people doing sound. Most of our ushers, they all tend to be men. I don't know why that's the case. Are we saying that ladies can't do those things? So these are things that I want to just encourage us to reshuffle the deck so that everybody who has a gift and wants to get plugged in using their gift can use the gift. And so I think there's a tendency, the way the enemy works is for people to think, and this is an interesting thing, is that you have, as you have different gifts in the church, you have pr prophetic type of gifts, priestly type of gifts, kingly type of gifts. And you see them laid out in this text. But the prophetic kind of gifts are the speaking gifts, okay? And today that would be the, the preacher and the teacher and gifts of wisdom. And, and, and then you have these priestly gifts, which is the one anothering stuff that goes on in the body, the encouraging, the, um, the gifts of service, the gift of helps. But then the kingly gifts are these gifts of leadership and administration. And often what is needed in the church are some of these kingly gifts so that these other gifts can all fit. And so if you have these administrative type of gifts, then people can come along and say, oh, this is where I can fit in in the body. And so I often frustrate the people that are administratively minded the most because I need them the most because that's not my natural strength. And so I think what happens is, is people tend to look and they say, well, well there's no place for me in the church. And I, if I had a, a dollar for every time over the years somebody came to me and said, well, I'm different. I don't really fit in at this church. If I had a dollar for every time that was told to me, I'd have a lot of money. Because if you're, you know, it's just so easy. And for me, I say, I don't really fit in either. I'm a pastor. And, and there's not many pastors in the church, so nobody's like me. I don't fit in. And then another person says, well, I'm older and, and my children are, are you know, all the, all the other children in the church, they're, they're uh, much older than, than, you know, much younger than mine. So I don't fit in. Another says, well, I'm single and a lot of people aren't single in the church, so I don't fit in. And, you know, on and on. You know, I'm, I'm this or I'm that. And we all can f feel where we're different. Guess what? We're all different, yet we're one. 
And we've all got these different gifts that we bring to the, to the table, but we need each other's gifts. And so one of the other areas that we're trying to, to grow as a church is, um, if you look behind you, you can see right here that we've started a cry room. Well, the cry room's gonna take some more work for us as a church because basically that room, we, all the rooms get used during Sunday school, so that room's gonna have to be broken down after Sunday school. So it's gonna take a cry setup team to set it up. There'll be a little simple setup, but then we'd like to have a sanctuary breakdown team that would be part of that cry setup group and sanctuary uh, setup team almost every Sunday before the benediction, and some of you get really annoyed by this and you tell me that you, you don't like the, the breaking up the flow of the service to give last minute announcements and say, this section of the church is gonna have to be broken down for a circle of friends tomorrow, and we say that pretty much every Sunday, but last Sunday we forgot because I forgot to say it, and nobody took it down. And I saw it hadn't been taken down, and I thought, I'll do it myself when I come in Tuesday. Well, I actually went to be with my parents Tuesday and I wasn't here and the ladies came in and there's nobody, that, none of this has been broken down. How do you think the ladies felt when they came in Tuesday morning, particularly Robin Mitchell, who comes in and sees they don't care about me. I wasn't here Easter Sunday and that nobody cares. And that was how they perceived it because it was the perfect storm. But we need a sanctuary breakdown team. If we had that and had a point person and we could just rotate people through and it was just done, then we could do it. We're, we're not the rich church where it's all done for you. It's just paid. It's just, you know, we've got all these staff that just come in and break down the chairs and money drips down out of the ceiling. We don't have that. <laughs> we don't have that as a church. I mean, we've had some funny expressions. We had one time, some lady told me, she said, just get one of those, can't you get one of those little deacons to do that? And I thought, most of the deacons are bigger than I am. And if I told them that, and I remember one time we went to a, a, a conference, and this was early on at the church, and we took some of the praise team members, and we went to the big church, PCA church, and we wanted to see how the real professionals do praise team. And we got there early just to kind of, you know, see what you normally wouldn't see. And a lady's up there singing away, practicing her solo, and then she goes, uh, little sound guy, little sound guy, can you give me some more volume? And I realized she doesn't even know who the sound guy is in this big church. Like it was like little sound guy and she's tapping on the mic. I'm thinking if I said that to Jim in the back, hey little sound guy, he'd pound me, you know? Like, like, like that's not gonna work. Like we're not that big church that just says hey little sound guy and we don't even know the people in the back. That to me was really sad. But the idea here is I want you as, as a part of the body of Christ is that each of us has gifts and we all need to be using our gifts and we all need to be on a team. And you may be on a team already this morning and there may be opportunity for you to be on more than one team because a lot of the teams in the church, like if you're on the counting team, well, the, hopefully you're only counting once a month and then you're off for like four or five months. Or if you're an usher, you're on for a month and then you're off for a few. You, so, you, you know, so that means you only get to use your gift for a month and then you're off for four? I mean, maybe there's an opportunity to say, I'm gonna be on this team for this month, I'm gonna go talk to Jeff about being on the chip patrol for another month, or, I'll, you know, and, and what are the different teams that you could be a part of in the church? Because there's lots of holes 
just for, and this is just for a Sunday morning, to, to make it go. And so we want everybody to be using their gifts because one, it helps the body to grow, but the other is it helps us to grow. If we're put on the shelf, then we're really missing out as the body of Christ. And so I wanna leave you with that this morning as we come to the table to be reminded we are a community and we come together as a community to be reminded that it's through this one body of Jesus that has knit us all together and if we love the head, we have to love the body and if we love the cornerstone, that we're all part now of now we're building up this spiritual house is the picture. And so if we love that cornerstone, you say, okay, well, where's my piece as the, as the building block? And we all put our blocks in there and we're able to do something together that we could never do individually. And that brings glory to Jesus when, he, when people look in and they see the diversity of the church, diversity of ministries, people using their gifts. I remember one time years ago, we did a reception as a church and the, the, um, we all came together to do this reception. So uh, it was just a beautiful thing where instead of like paying the caterer and paying the big bucks, things were tight for the family. And so the church said, you know what, we're all gonna do this together. And they got married in another local church, but they did a reception here. And some of you guys know which wedding I'm referring to. This was years ago. But, and everybody brought something to the reception. Everybody contributed. And it was this beautiful thing. And one of the family members invited one of their neighbors who's not a believer. And the neighbor came up to me and she said, are you the pastor of this church? And she just said, she looked around and she just said, impressive, impressive. Because she saw everybody loving this family and everybody contributing to this reception. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. We're able to do together what we can't do by ourselves. And that brings glory to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Lord, to meet the needs in this body. Lord, we think of those that are giving a lot of care and needing help. And we pray that we'd be able to take burdens off from one another and to come alongside and assist each other in these various ministries. And so we do pray that all the various needs could be met in this body and that this lunch upcoming would be a good way to plug people in for that. We ask now as we come to your table that you would revive us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.